Time marches on and leaves behind those who are not equipped for tomorrow. We cannot predict what will happen in the future, but we at Regent University aim to prepare you for it. With world-class professors and over 150 programs, the opportunities to find success in your field are many. So don't let tomorrow pass you by. The journey to your brightest future begins here. Visit regent.edu slash learn more. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. It is Tuesday, April 11th, 2023. You like that new top of the hour music? That's a new change for us. Hope you do. In our new world of verbiage, where old nouns become new ones, such as speech is violence and violence is, if committed on behalf of the right cause, mostly peaceful, we get this. The FBI is now equating protected and, until yesterday, innocent speech to violence. As the Heritage Foundation's oversight project has just discovered, the FBI is now using a document with a, quote, glossary of terms, close quote, to look for words online that could indicate someone is involved with, quote, violent extremism, unquote. The flag terms include red pills or red pilled, first popularized by the 1999 film The Matrix. Words include based, looks maxing. And the names Chad and Stacy. We ought to be especially careful, I think, here at 960, as there is now an ad running on this station where Dennis Prager uses the phrase or word red pill. I don't think it's a stretch that there is an occupied part of this universe that thinks Dennis Prager or me or you are encouragers of violent extremism simply for our views. Such words and phrases like red pilled and based have come to be code for certain extremists who communicate online with others like them, according to the FBI's glossary of words, indicating, quote, racially or ethnically motivated violent extremism and a list of key terms about involuntary celibate violent extremism. According to the FBI glossary, based means someone who has been converted to racist ideology. The FBI documents show several words that the average person probably would associate with racist or white supremacist individuals or groups such as alt-right or Zionist-occupied government or blood and soil and great replacement theory. However, many of the terms on the list of words the FBI is watching out for could be used with no context involving race or extremist views. Small thing. The first time I heard the word based for what it's worth was about three years ago when a magazine editor out east who happens to be Jewish invited me to a dinner with a local elected official here who also happens to be Jewish and was complimenting him on his choice of restaurants and saying it was based. Not the name of a restaurant, it's just the adjective. I've looked at the FBI documents. They look like an eighth grader's project or the B vocabulary from George Orwell's 1984 appendix. You remember that? The B vocabulary consisted of words which had been deliberately constructed for political purposes. Words, that is to say, which not only had in every case a political implication, but were intended to impose a desirable mental attitude upon the person using him, using them. That's George Orwell. Words that were intended to impose a desirable mental attitude upon the person using them. This is all part of the problem of policing language, the way law enforcement like the FBI is now doing. We sanitize the traditional threats of violence and criminalize or hobgoblinize the innocent. Changing or 
criminalizing or toxifying traditional norms and standards is enough to not just unsettle a society, but in unsettling it, truly driving it mad. This was much the point of the novel, 1984, where normal words stopped meaning what they always meant, and the lack of conformism to the lurch of redefinitions was enough to put one in a mental facility. As Orwell put it, quote, All the beliefs, habits, tastes, emotions, mental attitudes that characterize our time are really designed to sustain the mystique of the party, capital P, and prevent the true nature of present-day society from being perceived. Close quote. Elaborate mental training is the phrase Orwell then uses to write of the effort to numb the people into being, quote, unwilling and unable to think too deeply on any subject, whatever. Elaborate, elaborate mental training. Interesting phrase that, right? Elaborate mental training to keep the people from thinking too deeply. And then there's my favorite part where Orwell writes, quote, a party member, again, capital P, a party member is expected to have no private emotions and no rests from enthusiasm. He is supposed to live in a continuous frenzy of hatred of foreign enemies and internal traitors, triumph over victories and self-abasement before the power and wisdom of the party, capital P, close quote. No rest, no respite. And my favorite word, frenzy. Orwell concludes, quote, the prevailing mental condition must be controlled insanity. The prevailing mental condition must be controlled insanity. Let's stay there just for a moment. Frenzy and controlled insanity, an unhealthy set of mental conditions. While many of us are talking about the youth mental health crisis, rightly so, we are ignoring the adult one. Our friends at Issues and Insights write, quote, To see biological males win Women of the Year awards and others compete against women in sports, and at least one paid to promote sports bras, it's obvious the American mind has slipped a few gears, close quote. If I may interrupt, now add major brands using a transgendered social media star as their marketing icon. A social media star who, born a male and with male body parts, is now also promoting his tampon use. Back to the folks at Issues and Insights. They write, quote, but our current troubles are about more than celebrating what is clearly a mental illness that needs to be treated. We have lost our way almost entirely across the board. Washington is at the access, excuse me, Washington is at the axis of weaponized government. Free speech is being crushed. Dissent from the left's political agenda is considered an imprisonable offense. And court rulings are to be ignored if they offend progressive sensibilities. The Democrats see the IRS not as just a revenue collector, but also a truncheon with which to discipline those who refuse to live under their boots. Parents who grouse at school board meetings, they are, of course, terrorists who much must be watched. It's no coincidence that we're riotous times. The damage seems to build with every news cycle. But to listen to the Democrats and their communications department, also known as the mainstream media, the only riot in U.S. history was on January 6th, 2021. In their twisted minds, rampaging, killing, burning, and looting in the name of George Floyd or some imagined resistance to fascism are just benign elements of mostly peaceful protests. Democrats have even contributed money to bail out those protesters. Western and American culture has also been perverted by global warming zealots who are determined to silence heterodox voices, pandemic tyrants who think rights 
are theirs to give and take. Modern segregationists committed to unwinding a half a century of racial progress. And elected lawmakers who think taking over legislative proceedings and occupying chambers is democracy. All have stirred up the crazy in our nation. Our descent into madness was evident to many of us long before it came de rigueur to demand that everyone must confess that it's just fab for boys to dress as girls, to proudly proclaim there is no distinction between men and women and force others to parrot the lie, to expose children to drag queens and to form mobs for no reason but to satisfy the lusts of the depraved. The left, which has marched through our institutions, won't rest until the civil society we have flourished in has been replaced with a political society. It craves a societal breakdown to bury the political and social norms that stand in its path to unchallengeable power. America's deranged, many of whom are prominent members of the ruling class, want the rest of the country to be as mentally and emotionally infirm as they are. It's their dream to take the rest of us down in their ship that's sinking under the weight of their lunacy. If we let that happen, we'll have no country at all. I, I just don't think that's much of a stretch, especially when party leaders say things like America was never that great in the first place or that making America great again is a dog whistle for some kind of extremism or putting America first is code for fascism. All of this was seen early on in the 1980s and 1990s on campuses when it was deemed ethnocentric and jingoistic and quasi-racist to speak of American exceptionalism. Here's how you get the frenzy or controlled insanity. We've lurched, or rather been lurched, from patriotism to pandemoniums. Everything is a crisis. We once spoke of our international enemies as existential threats. Because we've misused the English language, those threats are now so pervasive and real, tens of millions of Americans, maybe even 100 million Americans, support and exhibit or represent those various threats, as they are now called. We are now called extremists and existential threats. This is obviously why Joe Biden, when running for president, could say Donald Trump is an existential threat to America, something Nancy Pelosi said about Donald Trump with regard to the Constitution. And why the chairman of the Democratic National Committee says the Republican Party is a party of fascism and fear. These are direct quotes. I'm reminded of the saying from Confucius, when words lose their meaning, people lose their liberty. Ralph Waldo Emerson put it this way, the corruption of man is followed by the corruption of language. People who disagree with you for not accepting the new abnormal and distortions call you dumb or unenlightened, or if you're lucky enough to be a conservative Republican, Nazi and fascist. What historian Richard Hofstadter once labeled the paranoid style in American politics to describe the Barry Goldwater movement of 1964 is now firmly at home in our political and social rhetoric today. By our, I mean the elite culture. I mean everything from the newsrooms to the editorial boards, from the boardrooms to the classrooms. And by classrooms, I mean kindergarten through college and law school. Five-year-olds, dude, five-year-olds and 22-year-olds. When Richard Hofstadter wrote his major book in the 1960s, he called it all here the paranoid style in American politics. He used the word paranoid, quote, simply because no other word adequately evokes the sense of heated exaggeration, suspiciousness and conspiratorial fantasy, close quote, he was describing in the American right from the 1960s. Most of it, as I say, was about Goldwater and his candidacy and movement. But I think our task is to recall the lesson, really that goes much further back 
to a much smarter theorist, Plato, and his allegory of the cave. Remember what happens to the shadow viewers and the cave dwellers once they are liberated and see the real world. Platus tells us what happens once they are liberated from the cave and enter the light. Quote, the prisoners are released and disabused of their error at first. When any of them is liberated and compelled suddenly to stand up and turn his neck around and walk and look toward the light, he will suffer sharp pains. The glare will distress him, and he will be unable to see the realities of which in his former state he had seen the shadows. And then conceive someone saying to him that what he saw before was an illusion, but that now, when he is approaching nearer to being and his eyes turn towards more real existence, he has a clearer vision. What will be his reply? Will he not be perplexed? Will he not fancy that the shadows which he formerly saw are truer than the objects which are now shown to him? And if he is compelled to look straight at the light, will he not have a pain in his eyes which will make him turn away to take and take in the objects of vision which he can see and which he will conceive to be in reality clearer than the things which are now being shown to him? You see what Plato is doing here. Once one is brought into the light or enlightened, if you will, there is a shock. First, a disbelief, sharp pains, glares of distress, and even an initial view that the reality is the false thing and shadows are the real thing. But he will slowly come around, and in short enough order, he will see things clearer than they used to be. And then Plato uses an interesting phrase about those who are enlightened and look back at their former cave dwellers who are still there. He writes, he would felicitate himself on the change and pity them. He would be felicitous of himself and have pity on the others, the tribe he used to belong to, felicity being happiness. And then something else happens next. The liberated will want to explain to their chained brethren that what they are seeing is a lie. They will go back into the cave. They will be blinded by the darkness once again, and those who have stayed in the cave will think he is punished or harmed because his eyes aren't used to the dark. But the enlightened man will try to explain the folly to his chained brethren, and they will do what? Plato says they will try to kill him. The task for us is not to confuse the shadows with the light. We're up against a movement that claims we're the crazy ones, and they try to kill us politically. They try to censor us. They try to berate us. You name it. They don't want to hear our truth. So they live a lie and try with all their might for us to accept it. We know they live a lie, but the problem is this, and it's a big one. Because as Alan Bloom instructs in his notes on Plato, our culture is the cave. And the people who think they are talking and speaking smartly, though they are talking and speaking rot, take large swaths of the culture with them. It's not, it's not that the elite are men on an island. It's that they want to change the whole island and define it by falsehoods, by their myths and narratives, as it were. Our task as Leo Strauss once put it, however, is to see things as they truly are, not be confused, which from its Latin roots also means a disorder. I'm Seth Leibson, 602-508-0960. You want a reality check that'll frighten you a little bit? Grace Slick is 82 years old. 82 years old. I think that's McCarthy, Paul McCartney's age, too. Bill, you doing okay over there? You going to make it? 
you you made a you made a fundamental error today, didn't you? Yeah, you, you have you. Jim brought in donuts for the office, and uh, you are like you eat the healthiest of anyone I know. You don't even consume caffeine or alcohol. Your whole diet is usually the food my food eats. It's carrots and tomatoes and lettuce and beans and things. But you had a donut, didn't you? I sure did. And I caught you yawning and slumping, didn't I? You sure did. And I caught you having to engage in the vicious cycle. Once you chased that monkey, you had to have another piece of donut. You had needed to have another donut, didn't you? Oh, I'm in it. I'm in the cycle. You're in the cycle, and now you need to engage in a purge. Do I get out of it somehow? Yeah, yeah. We're going to make it, though, right? Okay, you're just going to have to eat a few more donuts before the show's over. This is the problem. Um, The uh, do I need to do my lecture again on the lesson of donuts and civil society and behavior? I have I have done that lecture before. I can do it. I'll do it again. I've done it before. Well, we'll see if people want it. Okay, I hope you're happy with Katie Hobbs as your governor. Those who voted for her, those who called themselves Republicans and voted for her. She vetoed five bills today. One that would have created a lengthy mandatory minimum sentence for fentanyl. It would have taken a fentanyl pill and considered it a distribution. And it would have created a mandatory minimum with a strong signal that we're not going to have this on our streets. We're not going to have it on our streets. It would have put fentanyl in the same category we do with other drugs like methamphetamine. Now, I'm not, I mean, I I, I have pretty complex and universal views of how to handle the illegal drug problem in America. And law enforcement is a big part of it. It's not exclusively the answer. I have other thoughts. I'm heavily pursuing the issue of prevention and education, obviously. But the law is also an educator. And the law is an important tool. And societies can clean themselves up or destroy themselves based on what laws are on the books, what laws are enforced, and what laws are not. And fentanyl is a big killer. I was reading a uh, journalist from San Francisco yesterday saying that fentanyl is just different. It's the worst thing that's ever been on our streets. And I wrote her and I said, well, maybe a year ago you would have been right. But there is worse yet. Shakespeare says in King Lear, and it's called Trank. It's known as the zombie drug, and if you thought fentanyl was the worst thing, just wait till you get a look at what Trank is doing, even on the streets of San Francisco. How did we get fentanyl? What people thought was the worst thing, by being lax on drugs before that. There's this odd increase, this odd increase of of potency and toxicity that once we become numb to a certain level, we will raise the stakes to increase the high, I suppose, of the society in general and at large. Reinhold Niebuhr 
you know who Reinhold Niebuhr was? Worth worth reading. He was he was a big influence of Martin Luther King. But anyone who's ever heard the Serenity Prayer, which I think Dennis says is one of his life's motivating theories, the Serenity Prayer: Grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, the wisdom to know the difference. That was written by Reinhold Niebuhr, as a theologian, famous in the uh, famous in the. Uh, 50s and 60s, says uh, human desires, excuse me, yeah, human desires increase with their means of gratification. And that's why fentanyl was the worst and now we're there is worse yet. Trank. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. John Dombrowski is the president and founder of Grand Canyon Planning Associates. His website is grandcanyonplanning.com. He is the host of his own radio show every Saturday morning here at 7 a.m., The Word on Wealth. John, how are you, sir? Fantastic. Seth, how's it going? Good. You like, um, I'm doing just fine. Thanks. You like Buddy Holly? Is that, is that... Uh, yeah, I guess so. No, I, no, yeah. no, that's not good enough for me. <laughs> All right. Note to Bill, no more Buddy Holly for John. No more Buddy Holly. I mean, that's old school, I will say. Yes, yes. Like the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution. Now that I do. That I do. They're old, too. Speaking of old and new, John, you flagged an interesting story here today. Walmart chases higher profits powered by warehouse robots and automated claws. And you were kind of tying that, if I'm not mistaken, you were kind of tying that to our discussion yesterday about job creation. Talk to us about right. this. What are we seeing here? Well, we, I mean, I've said this in the past, I know, um, speaking with you, is that, uh, you know, even through difficult times and in, in a difficult economic times, corporations usually find a way to become profitable. Mm-hmm. That's, that's what business is all about, right? right, right. Uh, trying to find the balance between, um, you know, what's happening in the economy and ultimately getting their product to the market and turning a profit. Well, in a scenario like Walmart or any of these big box stores, it could be Target, it could be uh, Amazon, mm-hmm. uh, these are huge facilities that these, these companies have, a lot of them warehouse facilities, distribution centers and such. And uh, what they're trying to do is uh, manage people as well as inventory. And uh, oftentimes, uh, as we talked about inventory and People, you know, people may be more expensive oftentimes to uh, one of the most expensive parts of any business. So, if there's a way that companies could uh, reduce that expense by using automation, I think that's probably what they're going to do. And right now, we've got a scenario where companies are having a challenge finding people to work. Mm-hmm. That the uh, an alternative starts to look better, which could be automation, even though initially it may be expensive. Long term, I would imagine the cost would be reducing that expense of uh, having additional employees. There's a little bit of a challenge here, of course, is you've got to have people working the machinery. Yeah. Uh, but uh, it's kind of interesting to think about this, and I also read another uh, you know, article about the impact of this. Uh, what does it do to you know, the workers out there now, if you're going to let them go, you've got to train them for for new positions Mm -hmm. within a company. But it could uh, lead to lower prices 
for people, and I know the average. Let's American hope that could is wood. Uh, yeah. Right. I mean, people. Right? I can't tell you. Uh, probably a phone call a day. I, you probably get fifty, but yep. uh, because of the business you're in. But probably a phone call a day to friends and acquaintances talking about the prices. They're just amazed. Yes. Just yep. amazed at them. Now, one of the things Walmart will probably have to do to do this is put in an initial investment to do these. Yes, this, and, absolutely. And then we get used to it. Now, I, I suppose over time they'll probably take some heat because they always take heat from employee groups. But, you know, once prices do go down, if they go down, please God, you know, I wonder if people are going to be happy with all this. How many people do you know, and you probably – Make your own decisions along these lines. Go to grocery stores now and lament that you can't you can't have a cashier at the checkout. It's all this automated self checkout, right. which has huge lines and huge technological problems, or at least if not technological problems, user pro- right yeah. uh, user based yeah. problems, which slow everything down. I don't think we're going to end up liking this unless there is a dramatic. I mean, I'm sure there's two lines that will cross. There is a price point at which people will prefer. The inconvenience of not having a human there, I suppose. But right now, man, I'm not so sure. It's going to take a well, while. This is a transitionary phase, it. isn't it? Yeah, we're getting used to it more and more. Uh, and uh, you're seeing, if you go to those stores and yeah. you see that those lines are full yeah. versus sometimes even the regular checkout where there's someone standing there, yeah. uh, it's because people are in a hurry. Yeah. They just want to get through it and yeah. get it done. And I, yeah. I do the same thing when I go to the supermarket. That's the line I go to yep. as I do the yeah. self-checkout. <laughs> and I'm, I'm pretty good at it. Yeah, no, you and, are. And, <laughs> you're efficient. <laughs> and the same at, at Costco. You, you, know, check, when you, you go can there. check out as fast as you can speak. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. So I, I think we're going to get used to this, and more of it's coming. And uh, if you're not, us, yeah. not going to get used to it, please uh, please try your best to, to start uh, – you know, using it. All right. Track, track it with us, John, as we you go bet. forward. Right. Okay. All right. Securities and advisory services offered through Creative One Securities LLC, a member of Finman Sippick, and an investment advisor, Grand Canyon Planning Associates LLC, and Creative One Securities LLC are not affiliated. Thanks, Seth. Talk tomorrow. See what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, John. Six zero two fifty eighty nine sixty. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show, 602-508-0960. Uh, this is interesting. Maybe, I don't know, it, it, it's interesting, but was it top of the news interesting? I'm not so sure. You tell me. Um, I noticed that uh, Fox News Channel put this, it's their lead top of the news story uh, on their last couple of broadcasts this afternoon manhattan da bragg sues jim jordan house judiciary committee to block gop oversight of trump prosecution manhattan reading from caroline downey at national view manhattan district attorney alvin bragg on tuesday sued the house judiciary committee and chairman jim jordan in an attempt to stop them from subpoenaing a lawyer involved in the progressive prosecutor's probe of former president trump last week Jim Jordan summoned Mark Pomerantz, a former senior attorney in Bragg's office, to testify on Capitol Hill following public statements he made pressuring his old boss to prosecute Trump. The subpoena came two days after Bragg unsealed an indictment revealing that Trump had been charged with 34 felonies stemming from falsified business records related to hush money payments made to Stormy Daniels. Congress has a 
specific and manifestly important interest in preventing politically motivated prosecutions of current and former presidents by elected state and local prosecutors, particularly in jurisdictions like New York, where the prosecutor is popularly elected and trial-level judges lack life tenure, Jordan wrote. After spending three years working on the Trump investigation, Pomerantz acrimoniously left the office because of Bragg's earlier hesitancy to prosecute the former president. Chairman Jordan's demands, including his subpoena to Mr. Pomerantz, seek highly sensitive and confidential local prosecutorial information that belongs to the office of the district attorney and the people of New York, reads Bragg's lawsuit. Basic principles of federalism and common sense, as well as binding Supreme Court precedent, forbid Congress from demanding it, close quote. Physician, heal thyself, Mr. Bragg. Bragg accused Jordan and the committee of launching an intimidation, retaliation, and an obstruction campaign. Those are his words, Bragg's, against a state prosecution process in violation of federalism. Kind of interesting all of a sudden that Bragg is introduced interested in intimidation retaliation, isn't it? Congress does not have the authority to conduct oversight of state criminal prosecutions, Bragg argued. Jordan's request for the district attorney's former special assistance testimony and warnings that the GOP majority will hold Bragg accountable is an affront to our sovereignty, said Bragg. Jordan and Trump's characterization of Bragg as a district attorney has been bankrolled by progressive financier George Soros, whose money is behind Many left-wing organizations and initiatives is threatening, the lawsuit claimed. Bragg asked the court to block enforcement of the subpoena. Well, one at first blush might be tempted to think Bragg has a little bit of a point there. It is a separate jurisdiction altogether. However, however, what Bragg seems to be quiet about and what Jordan is making more and more the point of is that Bragg's office receives federal funds and used federal funds in part to investigate and prosecute or at least indict and arraign Donald Trump. Furthermore, Congress has obvious authority over federal funding and federal funding projects. And Congress has another authority, too. Congress can pretty much subpoena and hold hearings on anything it wants in furtherance of possible legislation. Might Congress try to pass a bill related to any of this? Might Congress try to pass a law related to the prosecution of federal officials in state courts? Might Congress try to pass legislation, debate and pass legislation related to the prosecution of federal officials after they left office or for misdemeanors? Might Congress try to pass legislation over Department of Justice guidelines for indicting current presidents over which there is controversy? Just off the top of my head, there's about five pieces of legislation Congress could debate and theoretically pass legislation on that would preempt certain fields and that would affect the kinds of prosecutions that we just saw with Donald Trump. Certainly the use of federal funds and federal funding 
to do so. That is the precinct of Congress. I I'd have no idea if Bragg will prevail here or not. None. The timing is interesting that Bragg filed this lawsuit a day or so after Jim Jordan announced he's going to be holding victims' crime hearings. Victims, yeah, crime victims, sorry. Here, let me try that again. It came a day after Jim Jordan announced he is going to hold field hearings in Manhattan on crime victims and their rights because a lot of those crime victims' rights have been trampled upon, have been ignored, have been neglected, and a lot of violent crime has taken place in New York, and not enough has been done to highlight crime victims and their rights, which they have. Interesting, this intimidation game that is going on from Bragg's office. Again, I don't know whether Bragg's Bragg's suit will win the day or not. Someone was telling me earlier, someone who's very, very, very keen political mind, someone who's run for office and, and has helped people run for office, was saying to me that he just doesn't think he understands politics anymore. Well, we can all say that from time to time because odd things happen in politics uh, from time to time. But, you know, the problem with the law is that used to be a certain thing. That used to be we knew what the law was. It was called black letter, the black letter of the law. A lot of law schools dropped that phrase, by the way, because you can't use anything with the word certain words in them. But the black letter of the law, the law used to be a certain thing. You could pretty much know what was illegal and what not. You could pretty much know what a court would uphold and what not, pretty much. And then, of course, you'd get eyebrow-raising cases and decisions starting in the 19, oh, I don't know, nineteen mid-1960s, let's say. And then the law became chaotic. I think it's fair to say probably our politics has always had some level of chaos to them. It's a different animal when the law has chaos to it because the law was something that was supposed to control, limit, moderate, and mediate chaos. Law is an ass for sure. It shouldn't be confusing. It is, and we all have to live under it. We live in a regime where the law is not clear. Think about that for a moment. How do you think the administration is doing handling the economy? Stock market volatility, bank failures, and possible recession coming. What if you could invest in a portfolio with a high fixed rate of return not correlated to the Fed or the stock market? Portfolio and investment where you can turn your monthly income on or off, compound it, whatever you like, with no loss of principal if you need your money back at any time. Your interest compounded daily. You're paid monthly. There are no fees. It's a secure, collateralized portfolio that's being offered up by my friends at Y Refi. Y Refi is a local business. I encourage you to stop by their offices on Scottsdale Road and the 101. I have. I've been there a lot. I can tell you that you will not get a sales pitch, and no one's going to ask you to sign anything. When you meet with the team at Y-Refi, you'll see why I trust them, and you can too. Y-Refi is a due diligence approved firm, and you can earn up to a 10.25% rate of return. That's right, a 10 and a quarter percent 
fixed rate of return in this secure and collateralized portfolio. Check them out at investyrefi.com. That's the word invest, the letter Y, then refy.com, or give them a call at 888-YREFI-34, 888-YREFI-34. How many of you um, over the weekend uh, saw the sheriff in uh, Marion in Florida talking about the investigation he was undertaking in the murder of three teenagers, Marion County? How many of you uh, may have even seen the um, the press conference, uh, not only just his press conference, his interview with Jesse Waters on Friday? This sheriff was fantastic, fantastic. And um, he <laughs> he got his third guy. He got his third guy, God love him. He um, He put out a picture of him. And said, I know the uh, press won't put out this teenager's face, but uh, I will. Billy Woods is his name, Sheriff Billy Woods. He says, I'll do it. And then he went into this long disquisition about what causes so much teenage violence. And it was fantastic. And he said it starts with the schools, has nothing to do with the gun. The gun was burglarized, was robbed from a car, was burglarized from a car in the first place. And um, he put that face up of that boy, this gang member he wanted. He asked the community to help him since the media wouldn't. The community did, and they got him. Real hero of law enforcement. We'll talk about that. Speaking of law enforcement, Sheriff Mark Lamb announced he's running for U.S. Senate, the Republican Party ticket, the seat that currently held by Kirsten Cinema, and he'll be, with a little, he'll be with us a little later in the show as well. I'm Seth Liebson. We'll be right back. Lots of channels, nothing to watch, especially if you're searching for the truth. It's time to interrupt your regularly scheduled programs with something actually worth watching. Salem News Channel, straightforward, unfiltered, with in-depth insight and analysis from the greatest collection of conservative minds, like Hugh Hewitt, Mike Gallagher, Sebastian Gorka, and more. Find truth. Watch 24-7 on SNC.TV and on Local Now, Channel 525. 